Welcome back, everyone, to I've Been Hornswoggled, waking up from a narcissist-induced nightmare. And I am back in my van, and I dropped my kids off in the class, and I thought, well, it is time to bust out um, another episode of I Was Hornswoggled. <laughs> and um, you can contact the show at Hornswoggled Pod on Twitter and I was hornswoggled at gmail.com. And um, you can find the show and leave a voice message uh, at Anchor. And um, that is a really cool app. And that's what I'm using right now to record my podcast with. So if you want to uh, get your stories out there, that's definitely a way you can do it. And I just want to let you know that um, I'm just going to be talking about. Um, going no contact. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants on it because I have a lot of experience right now. Um, I am going to talk about first why I chose to go no contact from my mom at the age of 30, 39. Yeah. Was it? I was 39 when I found out that my mom was, um, bamboozling me and hornswoggling me my entire life. And I am 41 right now. So uh, it was towards the end of 2019 when I had invited my sister out of the blue. I just felt like I needed to invite my sister to our weekly grocery um, grocery trip to the grocery store. I would swing by with my kids and I would pick up my mom and we would hop in the truck and we would go get groceries and we'd go do our thing like I, I've told before every week and just that one week I decided hey I'm gonna invite my sister even though I knew she hated my face um, I knew that she was just this uh, I thought I knew because I this is the story I was being told about my sister all these years um, that she was this horrible person who was lazy and mooching off my mom and just was a, just an all-around not pleasant individual and I just felt led felt called to invite her knowing what I was going to get myself into so when she walked into my house that day um because they met at my house and I was just going to drive us all there my sister first thing she did is she looked at my curtains and she went funny and I thought oh here we go she's already starting so now if you know anything about um narcissists especially what I was dealing with a covert narcissist is that they love to triangulate so that's the situation my sister and I were in but we were not aware of it so now put yourself in her shoes she was invited by God only knows all the things that my mom had told her about me and uh, throughout the, the decades at least two decades worth of tongue waggling from this this uh body snatched mother of mine <laughs> So, um, so she just think about it. Like if you were her and you were being invited to get groceries with, with your mom and, and then also probably wondering why is my mom always getting groceries with this other daughter, her other daughter, if she hates her so much enough, like referring to me. So imagine like being my sister going, oh sure. Yeah. That loser sister of mine wants to invite me to get groceries. Yeah. Yay. We, you know, so she accepts invitation. Thank God. And she got into 
uh, we all load up into the truck and I'm driving and I just remember looking at my sister. She looked like she was totally wigged out like the whole time. I thought, what is this? Like she was grabbing the, the side of the car and I wasn't driving weird or anything. Um, I just thought, and she kept looking back at my mom with these big saucer eyes, like trying to like make sense of like the twilight zone I found out that she was living in. So in my sister's head, she was sitting in, in this truck with this evil sister of hers and her mom was acting like a perfect little angel in the back seat. And it didn't line up with any of the stories that she had been told in the past 20 years. Now, now knowing and talking to my sister about this stuff, um, I find out that my mom was telling my sister that I was this crazy daughter who had this mental illness. I'm not, I have never struggled with mental illness. Um, she, and I, it's okay if you, you are struggling with that, but to use that as um, a weapon, like uh, narcissists do, you're going to find while I laugh at that because she uses it to discredit uh, anyone in her life. There are real people out there that do struggle with variations of mental illness. And I used to work in a group home and I know exactly the spectrums of a lot of, you know, of mental illness and, and the toll it takes on a person. So for my mom to always use this as a weapon and a way to do, like, to um, look down her nose at people and to like try to make other people look down their nose at people is that is just always I found very disgusting but now I see this was her go-to mechanism between my sister and I she always just claimed that the other sister was so off the rails and so belligerent that you're like wow but now knowing what I know about a narcissist is that they project their ooey gooey out inside out onto everyone out onto their targets so when that's why they say when a narcissist is attacking you and accusing you of being a certain way they're really confessing to their inner state that th their inner state of being that's who they're that's how they are on the inside and they're just reflecting their inside out onto unsuspecting people in the world okay and they're normally their targets so she would do that to me and my sister equally my sister would tell me story yeah she said you did this I'm like oh my gosh she said you did that she was she wouldn't even being creative she was just reusing the same story on both sisters and then we even had my husband to witness and back it up that he's like yep that's what we were being told about you this entire time so that was their first recollection. So now finding out that my mother had been at the the helm of the the sister breaking up my sisterhood with my sister for 20 years of sabotaging our relationship, all so many different tales which I'll go into later on in different episodes. But that was an eye opener for me that she robbed me of a relationship with my sister for 20 years. She robbed me. She stole both of us the opportunity to get to know each other as growing growing up as women. She did everything she could do to separate us, to, to um, trash talk us, and not only to each other. The more and more I dug, I found out that my mom was doing this behind our backs to everybody in our life. 
So then my husband and I start to think back to our problem. Like we had a pro, we had a rocky time. We got married in 2011, but before that, I joke that I wanted to really make sure that I wanted to get married because before that, we lived together for about 10 years before we decided to get married. So. Um, so we've been living with each other for over 20 years, right? So, um, we've been married for 10 ish. And, um, so we look back at the, the most rough patch that we ran into in our life was when my son was just like two years old and it was about five months after my dad passed away. And my mom really started because it's like she didn't have my dad as her living trough, her living um, source of feeding. That she had to really work extra hard on feeding um, and, and keeping that supply handy. So she really kicked up her narc games in our lives where I now remember at first <laughs> I was so accustomed to her mental abuse and her her backhanded compliments, but um, I was also used to her whispering uh, in my ear bad things about my husband, be like, oh, don't let him get away with that. He'll act just like your dad did. Because she was always trying to triangulate us with her father too. So not only did she have a triangulation feed session set up with my sister, she would also triangulate her daughters with their father. Because, you know, that's that's how lovely narcissists are. They don't care about you. They care about feeding. They care about themselves. They do not care about you. Do not get it twisted. They don't care about you. You are just serving a purpose. And the minute that purpose is not served, you are enemy number one. So do not hold on to hope that, oh, just one day they'll just they'll just change. They have to want to change. And it's very rare from my understand for narcissists to openly, it's very rare. It happens. There's stories. There's old wives tale. <laughs> I'm sure there's one, one out there, but you know, don't think that the, this is a personality disorder. This is a personality disorder. Narcissists, uh, narcissists, narcissism narcissism runs on a spectrum you know you're either you're swinging one way or you're swinging the other way but you're on you're if they're on the spectrum they're on the spectrum and um not you shouldn't be diagnosing we shouldn't be diagnosing people uh, we're not professionals unless you are a professional but it's handy to know the nine points that professionals use to diagnose narcissistic personality disorder or they shorten it to npd so once I find out that my mom has been doing all this stuff with my sister, and then I start to realize, you, like I said, you go back into your life and you comb through every little section of your world and you're like, what other relationships has she tried to destroy? And then I'm like, oh yeah, my marriage. She really tried to get in between my husband and I and she would get into my ear and go, He's going to turn out just like your father. You're going to be miserable. You're going to just be at his beck and call. You're going to this and he's that. And, you know, just nonstop stuff. Or, oh, he said this today and it reminded me of situations I've been through. And it's not going to end well for you. It's not going to end well. And then I find out that she was just going to my husband and going, oh, yeah, you, you're going to have to watch out because... 
Because um, she's going to force you. She's going to push you away. She's going to push you away. You better you better um, just keep an eye on her. Oh, she works with a bunch of men at work. Uh, she, she's probably cheating on you. Uh, she tells me that she has a lot of friends at work. And there are a lot of them are men. And it was because at the time I worked in a paper mill doing quality control. And it's not my problem. I worked in a lab by myself. But I would have people come in and I was the only female on a third shift working in a paper mill. I'm not a flirty person. I'm not an adulteress. I'm nothing and I never talked about my work with my mom. She just knew that I worked in a paper mill and that I was the only female on my shift. I was only chick in my lab. That's it. Working by myself, testing paper, listening to the radio and counting the minutes until I could go home. That was my job. But she twisted it into something weird and started planting seeds of doubt and, and stuff in my head to the point my husband was tricked into thinking that I possibly had been cultivating relationships on the side, which I had no idea that she was doing this, right? <laughs> I swear. So one day... So it's like in my, in my husband's head, he had been cheated on before by a previous marriage. So it was like a really rough spot for him. I had not, I had never had anybody, you know, cheat on me and I've never cheated on anyone else. Never knew that my own mom was in the background trying to talk my husband away from me, trying to say that I'm going to push him away that, but then on my side, she would be like, you need to keep an eye on him. Don't let him get away with it. So it's, they, they groom their targets and they love to sit back and just eat their popcorn like a little goblin in the corner and giggle as they watch everybody's worlds burn around them. It brings them joy. So thank the Lord. I say that because we ran into some rough patch where my husband believed what she was saying. And then started to talk to this girl at work. This girl just started talking to him. That was a friend of mine, the one female friend I made. Come to find out she was um, targeting married men at work. And my husband was just one of them. One of five, we find out, that she was not happy in her home. So she was actually... It was crazy, the the timing that was involved in it. It just blew my mind out how bizarre it was where this, he started getting text messages from this girl at work who got his number from the employee list because they were in charge of like covering the overtime. She started texting him, hi, hello, stuff like that. Well, I had ended up finding out that my husband was acting kind of weird. Well, it's because my mom was on one side telling him that I was you know, having all these friendships with guys at work that wasn't true. And then this chick that worked at the same place as us, we both ended up getting a job at the same place. And, um, so she, she was texting him at the same time, trying to, you know, break the ice or whatever. So my husband was just getting hammered with this from both sides. The timing was creepy how this worked. So then when my husband confided in me, because I was like, dude, why are you acting so strange? Why are you acting so distant? Like, what's going on? And he he opened up and he was like, oh, well, this, you know, so-and-so has been texting me and your mom's been telling this. And I was just, my whole world blew up before my eyes. I was like, are you kidding me? So my husband was having an emotional, what we were saying, was leading into an emotional affair where this girl just kept going, oh, I really liked how the jeans looked on you today. Da-da-da-da-da. And it was so creepy. 
And when I say that I'm a Christian, that is because I follow Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it was the only reason why my marriage was was saved was because we invited God into our marriage. Now, I now in another story related with narcissism, I have actually learned that I focus more on my relationship with my creator than I do denominations because I've, I've heard this one saying that really rung true with me. Men created religion. God created our relationships. That's what I focus on. So when I say I invited God into, you don't have to be a Christian to listen to me. I'm just telling you what my path and my experience is. So we decided at that moment in time that we were going to shut everyone out of our life. We got the truth out there about my mom. And even then, we didn't know it's because she's a narcissist. We just thought my mom was being uh, an airhead. It was just talking out of her behind and just haphazardly being a jerk to us. We didn't know that this was what narcissists do. We did not know anything about her being a narcissist yet. This was a good shoot five years before we even found out my mom was a narcissist. So these are just symptoms of us being abused mentally from a distance. We had no idea what was going on. But once I found out that my mom was a narcissist, well, I'll just say we survived that rough patch in our life. We learned from it. We learned what emotional affairs are. We learned how horrible it is to one, not come and get the information right from the horse's mouth. Instead of assuming what somebody's whispering in your ear as being truth, you need, if you're married, you need to go right to your significant other and you need to confirm with them what you are being told. Do not assume, do not take somebody's word for it. They, if they are just doing all this poisoning of the wells and all around them, they have nothing good planned for you. Don't trust these people. The homewreckers are, are there for a reason. Some of them are most likely narcissists. <laughs> Some of them are just very unhappy individuals and they don't want anybody else to be happy. So um, we survived that, but we survived because we actually leaned into God and we started doing Bible studies together. We studied what the Bible said about marriage and and we just prayed on it and God healed us and repaired us. And I learned a huge forgiveness back then. Um, it was very, I, I was raised very, you know, loyalty is a big thing with me because trust has always been a problem of mine. And now I find out trust has always been a problem of mine because I was a daughter of a narcissist mother. So I can laugh at it now because it, it is a, I chose to laugh at, at all of these bamboozlements that has happened to me because crying over it isn't going to fix it for me. But going, oh, good one, you little creepy goblin. I see you now. So that's why it was so easy for me to walk away from my mom and to go no contact. Once I took a fine tooth comb, I went through all of my relationships, like how she tried to destroy my marriage. How did she try? She she destroyed my relationship for 20 years with my sister. For me, that was enough to justify going cold turkey, no contact with her. That was, that's all it took for me. Um, a lot of people have breaking points. They, uh, their, their crap intake level is, is much higher than mine, you know? 
So everybody chooses to walk away or not walk away for their own reason. So I chose to walk away from my mom, which was so hard. But once I realized all the darkness she was bringing into my life, I realized that this woman who has called her me called herself my mother by name was not indeed my mother. It was an empty shell of a woman who called herself my mother. And I felt like I went through a period of grief where I I grieved the death of the mother that I thought I had. And I had to work through acceptance of the mother I was given. (laughs) And it was this, just this, (sighs) I think because I look at her through, uh, um, I, I practice as a Christian, looking at her through Christ's eyes, I'm not going to say that's easy to do. It's not. But when I can emotionally detach myself that this is no longer my mom, this is a woman who had once nothing good for me. It was easy for me to realize my mom had died. The version of my mom that I thought I had had died. She does not exist. The friend that I thought I had of my mom does not exist. Yes, it sucks. Yes, it's not fair. Being angry at the situation isn't going to make it better for me at all. Um, ha- holding resentment and hatred towards her wasn't going wasn't gonna to serve me in any positive way. It would only injure me if I held on to the hate, to the resentment, to the confusion, to the sadness, to the isolation. You know, all these, these swirling of emotions that I feel the enemy wants me to wallow in and stay miserable because he attacked me. I can say this. You might believe in a negative force. You might be an atheist. I don't know. I respect your beliefs. But I'm going to tell you right now that me, being a spiritual-minded person, knows that the enemy will use whatever and whoever he can to bring you down. I feel sympathy for my mom only because I know, from what I understand about narcissists, is that they are created whether they are spoiled to the point that they're literally soul, their soul is spoiled. They're just spoiled, like a little rotten piece of meat inside, like a little zombie person. Or also they are shame-based. They weren't um, shown love, affection, human interaction, the give and take of love back and forth, the reciprocation of respect and care and empathy. They weren't shown that as a child growing up and they were created in this way. Now, I don't know if that is a 100% agreed on thing. I think no matter what professional you talk to, there's a lot of different theories. To me, I would like to think everybody has a compass. We know when we're being a jack wagon and we know when we're being good. We know the difference of right and wrong, but I have to remind myself, not everybody is rewarded for being good when they're little. A lot of times um, when you're in a toxic childhood, you are actually being rewarded for bad behavior. There are evil people out there that are mentally abusing their children all the time. But I can't go into figuring out why my mom is the way she is. And we as victims can't, shouldn't have to waste any more of our life trying to figure out why this is happening to us. But what we can do is acknowledge that it did happen to us. We have been abused mentally, some physically, some emotionally, 
verbally, you name it. But we, what we have control over is we have control over standing up, making our boundaries. And if we can, get out of Dodge. Get away from your abuser. You have to come down to a value system. Some people say they can't leave because they are, um, you know, they're, they're deep in with their narcissist and that's where they're at. You got to make do with what you have the best way you can. And, um, I will shoot. I feel very blessed being able to walk away. I can't imagine. I've seen some stories where people were, um, reliant on them because they're wheelchair bound and their narcissist abuser is their caregiver. And my heart bleeds for those people because I couldn't, I could not imagine being trapped in my life and not have that free, that availability to walk away. So I do feel very blessed that I was in a position where my husband and I both agreed that breaking off 100% was the only way to go. And uh, if you can do that, I definitely recommend you do it. I'm going to tell you, I feel amazing now. My body used to hurt. I used to have really bad back aches. Um, and now I realized it was like a spiritual symbol for all the knives my mom was sticking in my back. You know, I'm just, it's, it's creepy to think how hateful a person has to be to do what narcissists do to people. How hateful, but you gotta let it go and you cannot focus on revenge. I know there's some people out there that are like, how to get revenge on your narcissist. Watch my video, honey. Don't waste your time. Do not get down to the demon's level in the crawling on your knees with your tongue hanging out wanting to go and get some because you're thirsty for revenge. That's not going to do you any good. Revenge is, is not going to quench your thirst. That would be like trying to drink a glass of milk after you ran a marathon. Good luck feeling quenched. It's not going to work. It's not. So my personal advice to you is do not focus on revenge. Focus on growth in yourself. Focus on getting a path for no contact planned. Check out every possible exit point that you can make from your abuser. Write it out, hide it, keep it like in a Google note or Google doc or somewhere, plan it somewhere where they can't find it if you need to do it that way. But you need to start working towards your freedom so you can stand on your own metaphorically figuratively. <laughs> if you're not in a position right now, it le- don't give up on the goal. Keep the goal. Keep the goal. Do not give up on the goal. Do not discount it. It can happen. I'm going to tell you it's not easy because what it happens when you've been narcissistically abused is you have gotten what they call like a trauma bond. You get so used to the drama, to the ups and downs, to their emotional roller coasters that when you experience a life of smooth sailing, you almost don't know how to do it. And it's like that cliche, oh, good girls always date bad boys. No, it's because those girls 
and it happens both ways because men, they, you know, anybody who's not used to dating someone who treats you right, you don't know how to live that life. So when people, um, I can always tell when someone is still addicted to the drama, it's because they won't just set it down. They want to have victory over the drama. They want to have victory over their abuser and they become obsessed with their abuser. They can become obsessed and they also take it as a form of rejection. If their abuser goes no contact with them, you need to say, honey, that is when the trash took itself out because as easily as we go no contact with our abuser, sooner or later, your abuser will go no contact with you because they have sucked every last bit of you out of your little slushy cup and there's no more left of you. They have sucked you dry. So before you get sucked dry, get out of Dodge and also recognize that you may be addicted to your abuser through trauma bonding. That is another topic for another episode. So I have gone over my no contact and why I went no contact. It was because it, for me, it was a deal breaker. Looking at my life, I wouldn't want a friend around who tried to sabotage this my, my marriage and my relationship with my sister. So for me, it was a no brainer. I don't want a mom or I don't care if you're my blood or you're not my blood. That is not the, the qualities of a person that I want in my circle of trust. So I had to take a stand for myself. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to be your own advocate. You need to be your own advocate. You cannot wait for people to come in and save you. You got to save yourself. You have to realize that you are valuable, you are worth the fight, you are worth the boundaries, you are worth defending. You need to pick up your shield, you need to put on your boots, you need to get on your armor, and you need to defend yourself because there is nobody else going to come in on a white horse and save you. You are your white horse, honey. You need to feel feel the power of your value as a person. You were not made for this. You were not created to be a walking mat. You were not created to be a rag doll for people to punch. You were not created to be a garbage receptacle for people to put their garbage in. You are a child of God. I'm going to tell you that right now. You are a child of God. Whether you believe in God or not, God loves you. Um, and you do not deserve any of this. Okay. So I, I, uh, pray and I hope that you have a very blessed day and I hope that you are working on feeling comfortable in your skin, your skin enough to value you and to start to think about your boundaries and, um, holding tight and holding firm onto your boundaries and knowing that you are worth it. You have a great day. Happy Tuesday. Bye.